The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God, truth, and staying relevant from the perspective of a tenured experience. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is an external ministry of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and a member of their Vigilance Radio Network, a part of Vigilance.blog, ABF's web portal that provides helpful and interesting resources for the church local and at large. If you're interested in today's topics or just staying relevant, go ahead and check out Vigilance.blog, or you can check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Truth Time. ABF. I am Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. Good morning. This is Truth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and we are going to continue our discussion about the work of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts in the Christ Factor. So we've been going over the spiritual gifts, what I would call motivative spiritual gifts, and we touched on all of them last time we got together. Um, let me just kind of summarize what we talked about if you're, if you're categorizing what those gifts are. One thing we didn't talk about, some people will categorize or like to categorize the, uh, the gift, the spiritual gift of a pastor or they will lump together pastor-teacher and, and view that as a spiritual gift as well. And because remember, this is just kind of a fluid look at uh, what's presented in Scripture by the Apostle Paul. I don't, I mean, personally, I don't know that pastor fits here or not, but, um, but it, is one, it is one thing to consider. Certainly there are individuals that are more gifted towards um, the particulars of what it takes to be a pastor and to minister, have that, uh, that shepherd's uh, care for the congregation. Um, I don't know, Josh, what do you think? Yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely listed as, as a spiritual gift. We usually connect it as pastor-teacher um, and not just teacher and not just pastor. Right. The way that I view that gift, I'm looking in our like specific teaching um, resource that we that I developed for the church um, for the exact wording of it but it's something along the lines of um, a person who's particularly gifted toward a specific subsect of people so it's like um, they may have like strong leadership skills but they're not necessarily um, 
it's not necessarily a general leadership. It's specific to, to these people, and they care about these people. The, okay. You know, shepherding a flock. Right, right, um, right. Let's see. What I have it is the spiritually motivated propensity towards communal harmony through personal investment and long-term relational commitment in a mentor capacity. Okay. So basically, um, a person who's gifted specifically in mentorship. So that's that's kind of how I view that gift, and I see them, and they don't they're not always pastors, and it's it's the same thing as you know, uh, say the person with the gift of teaching doesn't always end up in the profession of teaching. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's how I view it. Okay, cool. Well, so okay, so just to summarize or or uh, recap the motivative spiritual gifts, those gifts which an individual has that motivates or drives them. And as I said, you you may have operative in your life several uh, spiritual gifts, um, but you will always have the, the Holy Spirit equips you with with at least one dominant spiritual gift which motivates you or drives you on how it is that you approach uh, the activities of life. So uh, basically speaking, we talked about prophecy. We talked about um, evangelism. We talked about uh, the teacher, or in this case, uh, um, you know, pastor teacher, for example. Um, We talked about um, service, the gift of service. We talked about the gift of giving, the gift of mercy, and uh, the gift of uh, administration, and the gift of exhortation. These gifts fall under the category of what we would call motivative. And so you, uh, as you pray about, as you think about your life, as you look at how it is that God has equipped you, you need to kind of uh, do some soul searching and figure out where it is that you think that your gift lies and how it is that you approach things. Now, you can do that by uh, not only you becoming aware, self-aware of how it is that you approach things, but you know, you can also ask uh, other members of the body. You know, ask your pastor, ask somebody who is uh, who knows you, who is close to you. Ask your spouse or ask those and, and ask them, you know, what, how do they, they perceive you in the light of these particular gifts that are listed? And that will help you to be able to narrow down what it is that your motivative, your dominant motivative spiritual gift is. Now, there's also a wonderful book available. Is it online as well? You're talking about our internal resource. Um, Yeah, you can find it. You can find it. Um, Let's see. The last time I saw it was on Amazon. You can find it on Lulu.com. It's just a little self-published book, you know, to help um, ABF with understanding, um, you know, how to find yourself in in God's word. Yeah, yeah. And and occasionally you will be able to pick up... uh, uh, helps or reading materials in regard to spiritual gifts um, out there on the open market. Um, there are some people who say, you know, take this 150 uh, question quiz and we'll narrow down for you what your spiritual gift is. 
or they will approach spiritual gifts from a different standpoint. This uh, book, which we use internally, uh, was developed off of a year-long sermon series. And so, uh, as far as, uh, maybe I'm biased, but as far as I know, it's probably the best uh, resource that uh, we have available for understanding the dynamics of spiritual gifts. So, those are motivative spiritual gifts. Now, there's another category of spiritual gifts that we'll talk about briefly here. It's not quite as long, it's not quite as sophisticated, but it is an important uh, category because it's oftentimes misunderstood and abused, and so we want to just spend a little bit of time there. That is the, the, the category of what we call manifestative. And manifestative gifts very specifically are gifts which are given by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit sees need for that gift to be exercised in the body of Christ. And so it's not, it's not something that you can conjure up. It's not something that you can say, God, give me this gift. It's not something that, that you should expect, but you should be aware that it is there. So we'll start out with probably the most controversial and the most understood of the manifestative uh, spiritual gifts, and that is the gift of tongues. Mm. Now, when we look at when we look at the issue of speaking in tongues, it needs to be put within the context of what we of what we know from Scripture. And so, the first place that we really see it being demonstrated, particularly as a manifestative spiritual gift, is on the day of Pentecost. So here you have Jesus who has ascended into the heavens. The disciples are all by themselves. They have no leader. They are leaderless. They are praying for wisdom. They are in a hostile environment. Okay, but the, but the, the Jews are also um, celebrating. And so they had just finished celebrating the Passover. And there were Jews that had come from all over the uh, Roman kingdom uh, to be in Jerusalem during this time frame. And so there's all kinds of people all over the place. And the disciples, about 120, had gathered in a room, in an upper, it just says the upper room. They had gathered in an upper room, and they were up there, and they were praying for wisdom about how it is that they were to proceed. This is the genesis of the church. This is the beginning of God's work in the body of Christ. Jesus Christ is no longer here, but what did he say? He said, uh, you'll find this in the book of John, he told the disciples, I must leave so that I will send to you the Holy Spirit. I will send you one who is a comforter. I will send you one who will be an advocate. I will send you one whom you will now indwell in you and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So they're up in the upper room, they're praying, they're, they're a little bit frightened, they're not quite sure where to proceed, they don't, you know, they're, they're uh, just having gone through the trial of Jesus and the crucifixion, they're, they're a bit timid, 
as to how it is that they're going to deal with things. And they're praying, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descends upon them. And as it descends upon them with power, there are those amongst them which stand up and begin preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the tongues of the people who were coming from all the nations surrounding uh, Israel that had come from all over the Roman world. And, and, uh, and so they, they had grown up listening and talking and interacting in a world which was uh, not Jewish and was not uh, common to them. And the gospel now via the Holy Spirit was being spoken in their local tongues and dialects. That's the genesis of speaking in tongues. And then you see the Apostle Peter standing up and he makes a proclamation and he puts it all within perspective. So we see the Holy Spirit moving in a miraculous way so that the gospel of Christ might be transmitted to those that are there. Now, set that off to a side for a second and understand the dynamic of what's actually happening. Remember, when we're dealing with spiritual gifts, the three criteria that have to be present so that the spiritual gift will be uh, within context and used properly is that the God will not, the Holy Spirit does not allow the individual who is exercising the gift to be lifted up. He does not allow the gift itself to be lifted up. And the, the direction of the Holy Spirit always is that he will point uh, the way to Jesus Christ. And so in this uh, Genesis moment uh, called Pentecost, it's understood as Pentecost, in this Genesis moment, what we have is all three of these criteria there. And people were hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time and the work about Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his resurrection from the dead, his forgiveness of sins, calling the people to repent and turn to him. All of these things were being presented at this time. That is how we see the gift of tongues. Now, setting that aside, later in the New Testament, we begin to see uh, places where speaking in tongues then becomes a, a uh, expected part of worship within local bodies as kind of a proof that the, that the Holy Spirit was, was working. And we see instances of that uh, in modern culture. So there are several denominations. The, uh, the Foursquare denomination, um, the charismatic movement as it were, if you go to a charismatic church or you go to a Foursquare church or any of those that are, have placed the emphasis of their worship on the gift of speaking in tongues, 
the expectation is is that as part of the worship service, you will um, uh, speak in tongues, and you will uh, and and so they what what they tell you is is just give yourself over to the Holy Spirit, and even though it sounds like babbling. Uh, just try to say something and God, the Spirit will take over and you'll be speaking in a heavenly language. In the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uh, reprimands the church at Corinth uh, for the abuse of this gift. And what he essentially says is this, is he says that, listen, when people who are not of your fellowship come into your presence and this and and people are speaking in gibberish as it were uh what sounds like nonsense it's not beneficial to the body of Christ what is the purpose of speaking in tongues today in the context of the body of Christ. Well, if we go back to the main criteria, the main criteria is is that Jesus Christ will be glorified and the body will be lifted up because Jesus Christ is glorified. And if you got a bunch of people standing around speaking uh, in a gibberish type of way, which is uh, w- which doesn't make any sense, then how is it that the body is going to be glorified? And so the Apostle Paul lays down some criteria as it were in the book of first corinthians where he basically says this he says first of all if you're going to speak in tongues in the assembly then there only needs to be two or three of you that's the first thing so if the holy spirit manifests himself in such a way that a message is being given to the local congregation and it's being given in a a local tongue a dialect of the surrounding area, which is different than what uh, regular people would speak, then um, not only will you see the manifestative gift of, of tongues being present, but you will also see the manifestation of interpretation of tongues. So not only will you have somebody who speaks the word of God, but you will have somebody present who can interpret that that language which is being used so that they can give that message to the people that are there. And he says that this is most important that that takes place. So you have the gift of speaking in tongues. You also have the gift of interpretation, meaning that directly after somebody stands up in the assembly and speaks within the context of what we said, there needs to be an interpretation. If there is not an interpretation and a person just stands up and speaks, then the local congregation is not blessed, Christ is not lifted up, the body is not lifted up, and it is not an appropriate use of this gift. Now that's kind of a mouthful, but... um, Think about it for a second. Josh, you want to add anything? Did I miss anything here? No, I mean, that's pretty much what it says and pretty much what is unmissable if you read First Corinthians. And it's really kind of crazy that you have whole churches that just sort of disregard it. 
Um, the only thing I would say is it's pretty harsh in the way that it's worded in chapter 14. It yeah. says, well, he is reprimanding. Them. Yeah. It says if an unbeliever comes into your presence and sees you doing this, he will think you are crazy. Yeah. Which I, I really like. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that particular passage. Um, so it's not, you know, he'll think, Oh, that's strange. No, it's that he'll think you're crazy. And at that point you, the gift, what pastor Monty's saying is that that gift is no longer a gift to the, to the, to the church. It's not blessing. Um, yeah. And let me go even further to say that Paul says that he would rather speak. What is it? Five, five utterable five. I think it's five intelligible words than 5,000 words in tongues Yeah, because one blesses the church and one doesn't. Right. So, it's one of those things that should not be viewed um that that Paul and the apostles viewed as um not a standard for for whether a person's um faith or maturity is a thing they viewed it as personal um in when it was they viewed it as a personal thing when it was um they, so it has to, it, uh, it's a personal thing between you and God yes. when it's a personal thing between you and God. So in other words, if you are speaking and you don't have an interpreter, that's a problem. But if you're alone, that's okay. And that's Paul says he speaks in tongues all the time. Sure. Um, but let's, let's also be clear. And pastor Monty alluded to it that the gift of tongues, there's not really any evidence in scripture for the gift of tongues being an, a language that is unutterable. It is a language that you don't know. Right. That's what it is. So it's not, you know, it's not a heavenly language like, like what people say. Yeah, there are many, there are some people who believe, who have been taught uh, incorrectly, but have been taught that uh, it's it's clearly permissible to have to utter some type of an unintelligible to your ear but a heavenly language um, that you can communicate with the spirit uh, in other words what they talk about is is putting your you know putting your mind in neutral and allowing the Holy Spirit to take over your your tongue and to uh, and for you to speak um, in that way. Now there are, there are, there are a couple of things um, wrong with that. Uh, what I would focus on first is that if and I would not expect many believers to do this, but as an apologist, I've had to. And if um, you do any study in Eastern uh, religious uh, beliefs. Uh, you will immediately recognize that one of the things they talk about is putting the mind in neutral. Yeah. And just letting things wander, particularly in Hinduism, so you can be uh, either, um, you know, uh, uh, so that you can align as you uh, align your, your, your points of contact in your body or your chakras, um, and you clear your mind then you will be open to the spiritual influences of Atman. And, uh, Who's and, a demon, demon and, god. And subject, therefore, to possession. 
uh, by that. Yeah, and what what Pastor Monty is saying is that is actually a practice in Hinduism mm-hmm. where you open your mind up so that you can be filled with the universe. Um, but the universe is in the form of a demon god named Atman. Um, it's actually a practice called Kundalini, which is right. where yeah, we get yoga from. The Kundalini force, right? It's and, where we get yoga from. And we won't go deep into that right now. But just for those of you who are listening, let me make it very clear that uh, there is no such thing as Christian yoga. Yoga is Hinduism in its purest form, and the whole point of yoga exercises is for you to be able to prepare yourself for oneness with this uh, demonic force. Yeah, I, I think we should also make clear, though, because now I feel like that's a real, that's a, that's a um, I, f- I feel like we should also make clear that, you know, there's no, there's no, like, there's no autonomous movement of the human body that in itself is evil. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Again, the whole point of yoga, the belief in Eastern mysticism is that you line up these spiritual points in your body, which are called chakras. And, and uh, the yoga exercises help you to be able to do that so that you might be open to emptying your mind so that you might be open then to being filled by this, uh, this universe. If you look in the Old Testament, and, and that's not the only, there are other Eastern belief systems that, uh, that believe in the same type of thing. If you read in the Old Testament, uh, particularly within the uh, original languages, and understand what meditation is, meditation, not Eastern meditation, but biblical meditation is likened unto a, a cow chewing its cud. <laughs> so for all of you city folk out there who don't know what a cud is, um, the way that God designed cows is that they have several stomachs. And when a cow eats grass, initially... It goes into the first stomach. And then as a cow is standing there, if you've ever spent time around cattle, uh, milk cattle in particular, if you've ever spent time around cattle, um, then what happens is, is the cow stands there and it regurgitates that grass, which is in the first stomach, and it chews it up even finer and grinds it so that it's then sent into the second stomach there. And that's called chewing the cud. And the word meditation in scripture is not that we blank out our mind, but rather that we take the word of God and we take it in first and then later as we're going about our life, so you take it in through reading discipline, you take it in through listening to podcasts, you take, you take it in through, through uh, listening to the message of your pastor, you take it in a number of ways, and then that's your initial feeding of the word. But then you are you're meditating on God's word is to regurgitate that word which you have taken in 
and to begin to mull it over and ponder it and grind it and absorb it into your body. That is what Christian meditation is, far different than uh, this concept of Eastern meditation where you empty yourself. Yeah. Well, and that's where we get into like the practice of memorizing verses, for instance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's the process of taking it in. So, so the uh, um, it, it just it, if you get a chance, go on YouTube and search Kundalini Force. So on YouTube, so you're looking for videos, search Kundalini Force, and then go on, um, and so you can see people being quote unquote possessed by the Kundalini Force, and then go on YouTube and search for people who are speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that they are very, very, very similar. They begin to babble, and then they begin to like shake, and then they start to and and they start to convulse, and people have to like hold them, and it's it's a really interesting um, thing. The thing you need to remember is God does not possess people. He wants us to come to Him from our hearts. Um, not just our hearts, but our minds, our body, like everything we're supposed to give to God. God does not possess people. So if, if at any point your interaction with the Holy Spirit is one of possession, where the Holy Spirit takes you over, um, not that you are giving over. In other words, that you are a willing uh, participant with the Holy Spirit. You, you're the passive participant. But where the Holy Spirit takes you over and you don't even like remember what you said or did or there's no rationale or anything like that that's a problem yeah yeah what 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 scripture tells us is is that the 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 believer is indwelt by the holy spirit meaning that he lives within our presence and that we but, but he doesn't take us over we don't become mindless in how it is that we are to live for God. And I just want to remind the people that are listening, uh, our channels are open. This is kind of complex stuff, so if you want to ask a question, feel free to. Sure. So, so the speak, speaking in tongues, we've already told you, according to Scripture and practice within its correct format nowadays, means that in the assembly... If somebody speaks in a foreign language, so they get up, they speak in a, a language which is not common to those who are assembled. You know, if you come from uh, Asia or you come from Europe or, you know, you may speak five or six languages. So, you know, my wife and I will tease each other sometimes that, you know, we're speaking in tongues because, you know, she speaks six languages. I speak at least three. So that's not that, but that's that's not what's happening in the assembly, as Josh alluded to earlier. We're talking about a language which is not normal to where people are there. So um, a, a good illustration of this was that there was a gentleman who was visiting from a far uh, island in Japan, and the local people there where he was from spoke a very specific dialect and he was in an assembly where the Holy Spirit uh, prompted somebody to speak in tongues 
and an interpretation was given, and that individual from this uh, remote Japanese uh, culture recognized what was being said because it was being spoken in his tongue. So that's an example of how it's supposed to work. And so scripture is very clear today that if speaking in tongues is given by the Holy Spirit to that body as an affirmation, as uh, uh, in a prophetic manner, uh, as something that is going to encourage the body, that there must be immediately following the speaking in tongues, uh, the interpretation of that, what was said. So that the body, and, 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 and Paul says that you should limit this to uh, you know, two or three, no more than that. So that's, that's the issue of speaking in tongues. And it's, it, it, at least it gives you an idea of how complex it can be because it's been taken out of what Scripture has to say and it's been abused terribly well, within the body. And it's been being abused all the way from the beginning of the church. Right. So as Which which is the reason why Paul had to write to the Corinthian church and say, Wait, wait, whoa, slow down. Yeah. As humans do. Right. right, right. That's what we do. We take any bit of power or esteem or anything and try to make it our own well remember that so what was happening in the corinthian church remember that part of his issue was the fact that these people who had the more uh, a demonstration of a more showy gift then were lording it over those who weren't mm-hmm. and that's the reason why paul said wait whoa, 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 that's not that's that's not appropriate that's not how it works so um you know i really encourage you to read the letter, particularly the letter of 1 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul goes through and deals with this whole thing in regard to spiritual gifts. And we'll just, we'll just uh, top that off by saying that, uh, again, the local church is kind of pulled out of context. But as you go through, and remember this is a letter, so, um, but chapter 13 then 1 Corinthians 13, which many people think is the wedding passage or, (laughs) you know, no, no. Chapter 13 is written specifically with the Apostle Paul addressing how spiritual gifts are to function in the body of Christ and be governed by love. So... You know, I would encourage you, read 1 Corinthians, the entirety of the book, and look at the context of what the Apostle Paul is dealing when he's dealing with spiritual gifts. So those two manifestative uh, are are speaking in tongues. The first one we talked about, interpretation of tongues. uh, That is also a manifestative gift. Now, with that said, what what time we got here? Uh, We... We've been going for about 35 minutes. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's just take one more real quick here. And and uh, there are basically two more manifestative gifts which reveal themselves in scripture. And we can take we can take uh, well one of those. Well, no, let's do this. Let's, because we've just given you a mouthful of understanding 
uh, speaking in tongues and and uh, and the interpretation of tongues. Next week, when we get together, we'll talk about the manifestative gift of healing, and we'll talk about the manifestative gift of miracles. Hmm. But for now, let's go ahead and jump into what's up with that. So as I'm looking on the internet for all the interesting stuff that is out there, and believe me, there is plenty, you could, uh, you know, you could go into the political realm, which I'm not going to do today, but I mean, just this last week, my goodness, we had the, we had the, uh, uh, Robert Mueller reporter came. Uh, the Mueller report come out, which basically vindicated President Trump that there was no collusion. But of course, the Democrats are just beside themselves because they hung everything on that, and now they're trying to figure out what else they can do. Um, uh, th- of course, there's the Jesse Smollett thing, where we've got 16 felony counts against him, and the prosecutor there said, uh, nah, you know, he's already done some community service and we'll keep the 10 grand he put forward on his bail and uh, he's good. And people are going like, what? Really? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to be, well, we have a we have Culture Insanity coming up in oh, a couple yeah, of days I yeah. and I know you're going to be on that. Oh, yeah. So I know we're, we're going to be talking about Jesse Smollett oh, or we yeah. were going to. Yeah. I guess, so, you know, something crazy could happen in pop culture. That, that'll that be yesterday's news. <laughs> it just depends. <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 stuff moves so quickly nowadays. Uh, but, okay, so let's talk about something. Uh, there are some oddities out there. You know, there's a lot of gator activity uh, going on. So we went from the Moore Report and Jesse Smollett to gators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah gator. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In Florida... Um, the, uh, the authorities have been rather busy because they've had to deal with some uh, rather large gators that have just come out and presented themselves. Now, fortunately, nobody has been bitten, but uh, they're still pretty big and pretty dangerous. So it, in, uh, in Tallahassee, uh, there was a, uh, a, a, a 12, a 750-pound 12 foot long gator which was which was hanging out in the parking lot scaring people to death that they had to remove and he just kind of just kind of hanging out you know 12 foot long is a big gator yeah in 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 georgia there was a uh there's people were playing golf and out of the corner of their eye they saw this 11-foot-long gator kind of sashay across the golf course and uh, just go from one water hazard to another. Like, uh, so it's you know. living in the golf course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whenever you do putt, you wanna, they always have gators. You got to. You want to be careful about hitting your ball in the rough there in Georgia. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you don't want to be going after that. And then the, uh, the, the best one I saw in regard to gators was uh, in the Northern Territory. There was a guy that was fishing, uh, 
and he hooked on to a rather large um, barramanda and and was pulling it in. So as he was pulling it in, it was easier for him just to pull it onto the shore. So he's backing up. He's got the fish on his hook and he's reeling it in. And as he's reeling it in, this huge fish, he's backing up so the, the fish... Uh, gets on the land and slithers across the grass towards him and he's going oh this is cool and immediately as that fish got on the land a huge gator uh, came out of the water and ran and grabbed that fish <laughs> and, and did you see a uh, video of this yeah there's a video on it <laughs> where where do i find this uh it's on upi was carrying it but but they have but they have because the guy was excited he was videoing you know his friend catching this huge fish and he he caught the gator just coming up and boom and that fish was gone and you know you don't what what people what a lot of people don't realize is that um, gators actually can be very quick yeah on the land mm-hmm. and they're not normally but if it's if it's slippery grass type stuff, they can be very very fast. Yeah, they don't go uphill very well. No, no, but. and 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 there are circumstances where uh, not only gators but crocs. So like in Australia, they don't have to worry about gators, but they worry about saltwater crocs mm-hmm. because there was actually a a crocodile which which came into a half a mile. From the so these people were camped a half a mile away from the river, and this crocodile invaded their camp, and and tore through um, one of the tents and and attacked an an an, old, an elderly woman. I mean, yeah. So you gotta you gotta be careful with the, the critters. I'm telling you. Do you know uh, the differences between an alligator and a crocodile? Uh, the way that they're the the snout of a uh, alligator is uh, broader, and a crocodile is has a, a thin uh, snout. Yeah, it's it, yeah mostly yes, and then also that um, crocodiles are saltwater and alligators are mostly freshwater. Most mostly freshwater, but there are. There are, uh, and so crocodiles, these large crocodiles in Australia, they can actually swim because they can go saltwater and freshwater. Yeah. They can actually swim long distances. Yeah. And they're very, very aggressive and very dangerous. Have you ever, have you ever held uh, an alligator? I have not. Have you have you been with alligators before, like I, uh, oh, oh yeah, in like yeah. Florida or anything? Like that? Yeah, yeah, I have, and I and and uh, I know how to handle an alligator because uh, I used to watch Gator Boys. Okay, so <laughs> I mean that'll be worth so, something. So, so gators don't gators don't bother me because I know the right way to get on that gator. Yeah, and how to, and how to restrain them. Yeah, and as long as you close their mouth. Yeah. So you got some tape and you close their mouth and you hold their mouth shut. That's where their power is. Yeah. Well, unless you get in the water with them. Well, if you get in the water and with them. And then they like do the spin on you. Yeah. You better hope you're Tarzan. Because I've watched several Tarzan movies and that's how he used to do it. Yeah. he just ride that baby. Yeah. Well, you pull, <laughs> you like grab their nostrils and pull up on them. Right. right. But um, yeah, when I was in, where was it? It wasn't Florida, but 
I was some uh, Louisiana yeah, in, in the yeah, bayou. Yeah, they have gators. Um, and we went out on a gator cruise. Did you? Yeah, and yeah. The, so we there was there was a baby gator that we got to like hold that went out on the cruise with us. It's kind of strange, and but they were um, feeding the gators uh, to get them to come out. And you know what they would feed them? Chicken. So they fed them chicken. That's true. Yeah. But gators love marshmallows. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, they'd feed them marshmallows. They'd throw marshmallows out to yeah. get them to come to you. But man, when you threw chicken, yeah, I mean, it was like it was like twenty gators like coming out of nowhere. And oh yeah, it's like the water's like churning. It's scary. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, <coughs> your your mother, uh, as a child, grew up with playing with uh, baby gators. Or maybe yeah. a croc. I, I don't, I don't know. Rose were they crocs or were they? But anyway, with the babies, <laughs> and they used to get the babies and play with them, and then they would hear the, <laughs> they would hear the mama coming. Yeah, and they would you know leave them and run away. But she she played as a child. She played with those. Yep. You know that was just her world that she lived in. Yep, New York sewers. Yeah, well, she didn't grow up in New York. <laughs> she grew up kidding. in the Philippines. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a um, couple other oddities as far as nature is concerned. Now, for 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 you people who um, go out into the wilderness and you know drink your soda or your beer or whatever it is that you're drinking, listen, there are animals out there who get into these things, and they can be hurt. And in Florida, this woman found along the side of the road, she saw it moving, there was a snake that had got its head stuck inside of a beer can. And she was deathly afraid of snakes, and I have a healthy respect for snakes, particularly in Florida. But she uh, stopped and and uh, helped get that snake get its head out of that beer can because she was deathly afraid that uh, if one of the local boys or kind of some of the local children had found that they would have tortured that poor snake. Yeah, probably true. Listen, when you when you all you know when you go out in the wilderness and you take your party whatever with you. Pack it out and don't leave your mess to not only affect uh, the the fun of everybody else, but potentially to hurt uh, the animals as well. This is bad, terrible, bad form. Now, now what I'll end with on what's up with that is overseas, there was uh, in one of those uh, small countries over around India, there was this guy that was acting kind of strange. So he was carrying his suitcase around, and uh, he was acting like he wanted to board the plane, uh, but uh, he was acting a little bit strange. So the police uh, were called, and they cornered him and, and, uh, and took him off to the side. And when they opened his suitcase, he had a suitcase full of deadly snakes, venomous snakes. <laughs> it's like you know, see what's that about so I, I I don't know you know people do crazy things listen you need to be aware 
I mean, if you want to hear some interesting stories, you should see. Sometimes they put up on the internet, or they'll they'll do uh, they'll do talk shows where they'll talk to TSA and they'll show some of the the uh, stuff that people try to carry on board an airplane that they confiscate. Yeah, and it's crazy. Was but, it was it purposeful? Yeah, because yeah. uh, like I looked up. That's why I was nervous. So I, was, I I looked up um, snakes in suitcases. This is terrifying, but there are tons of reports of snakes getting into people's suitcases and then being transported. Well, there, and maybe a maybe a a, a, a cloth. Uh, suitcase that's possible yeah well it's like here's one where a woman opened her suitcase after a 9,000 mile flight from Australia and there was a python inside of it oh like there's yeah. there's a bunch of them here's one with yeah the python I wouldn't that wouldn't bother me because pythons you know they're they're uh, they're constrictors and so that's not too much of a problem here's one from 2011 Surprised airport workers in Argentina found hundreds of wriggling poisonous snakes and endangered reptiles inside the baggage of a Czech person. Yeah, see, you know the the thing is, listen, if you're the, oh, of course we have our, we have the TSA here in the U.S. 2014, okay? 1954. There's one. Eh, sorry, <laughs> I, there's, there's. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm on a. Going down a rabbit trail, right? Yeah, now. there's all kinds of stuff there, you know. But Snakes on planes. But here's the deal: if you, yeah, they made a movie about it, which really wasn't <laughs> that good. But I uh, love that movie. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't like that one, and I didn't like Con Air. I thought it was just stupid. Okay. Um, but but uh, if, you know, listen, we're not the only ones. We have the TSA, uh, but the whole uh, flight scare. That is going on around the world, regardless of where you are, they check your baggage anymore. They're very, regardless of where you are, they're very careful about making sure that when passengers get on planes, their legitimate reason why they're getting on that plane and they're not carrying anything they're not supposed to. Yeah, I have a I have TSA pre-check. Like I, you know, it, we were going on a couple trips, and so it made sense for us to do that. And yeah, it's yeah. Very nice, for the record. Um, you go very a lot quicker. That said, they still scan your luggage. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, our our best experience with uh, with with airlines was when we were in Scotland. When we would, uh, my wife and I and our daughter would would travel in Europe, and and when we. Uh, when we were in Scotland, they were they were so nice about it. You hardly even knew you were being interviewed. But, <laughs> but their but their security police would come. You're standing in line waiting to get checked in and what have you. And their security police come up alongside you and go, "How's your trip going? How you doing? Where are you going?" Mm-hmm. What you, I mean, so they take about ten or fifteen minutes with each of you, and they're gathering all this information, yep. but they're not mean or snotty or. And if you've ever dealt with TSA, sometimes they can be really hard to deal with. Yeah. And over in Scotland, they were just as nice. We, we both, both my wife and I looked at each other and said, "You know, actually, that was kind of pleasant." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good conversation with the local. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, that's that's all I got for uh, what's up with that. There's lots of uh, gator type stuff going on. There's 
lots of animalia things, and we'll talk more about the uh, political realm uh, coming up uh, this weekend. Now, How can I... let's address some questions. Okay. Well, we've actually gone through quite a bit of these questions, um, but one that so the last time I think we talked about uh, losing your faith. Does that seem right? Yeah. Um, have you heard of the topic? Whoa! Have you heard of the topic of biblical minimalism? Um, put it into context for me. I've heard it, but so there's so there's um, uh, Andy Stanley. He's the son of a prolific. Uh, Who's last name? Charles Stanley. Is that right? Yeah, Charles Stanley is a is a Southern preacher in yeah. Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's his son, Andy Stanley, and he's a he's a mega church pastor, and um. He made a comment that basically divorces the scripture from the, from the, um, we'll call it incident, the event of Christ. Uh, and so I was just looking to get your thoughts on that. But basically what it is, is he is saying that we shouldn't apologize the scripture. We should po- apologize the, um, the historical event of, of Christ. Because, so people don't really need the scripture, because you need to acknowledge the historical event of Christ, and then use the scripture to interpret it, and so people don't really need the scripture. Right. So what do you think about that? Well, you know, first of all, let me uh, th- let me start out from the beginning and say this, that there's lots of stuff that goes on out there in theological circles that... You know, I hear what they're talking about, and I try to keep it to a minimum for what I invest in. So that's my version of minimalist. Um, that <laughs> come yes. on, that, come on, that's good. That deserves that's, uh, yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, um, I I agree with the premise that we need to have a clear understanding, um, a clear historical understanding of who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. I agree with that premise. Right. That's the reason why I have difficulty with believers that say they only need to have the New Testament. Sure. Because, you know, hey. That's essentially where he's coming from in yeah, regard to we yeah. don't need the ten commandments yeah like. there are new to i mean we're new testament people right we're under the you know so we're i mean we follow jesus we don't look at all that old testament stuff so that 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 there is bovine excrement you need to have the old testament to understand who jesus christ is within the context of why god needed him to come to be our redemption and the old testament sets that up and helps us to not only understand that and keep it in context but it also helps us to recognize and understand the character of god because god definitely reveals his character and who he is when he deals with the people Israel, who he has set apart. 
so so you do need to have the the uh, an appreciation for the historicity of who Christ is and what happened while he was here and then the genesis and the growth of the body of Christ of which he is the head yeah. the church so in the new testament that is revealed to us through the scriptures which were given to the new testament church so i don't say i and so with that being said then because all of those things the because the historicity both old testament and new testament See, this is where this this guy's off. The point to, the whole purpose of that being there is to point to Jesus Christ. And you cannot separate one from another. You will simply not be complete in your understanding and knowledge of what God uh, was attempting to do and what he did do in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And subsequently, because of the cross of Calvary, what he does for his body, you and I, who are disciples of Christ. You can't separate that out. Yeah, I think the thing that I'm bothered by the most about it, like I, I have no problem with what he's saying in terms of a person can be a Christian without the Bible. I think that's true. I think that... If you can acknowledge that historical event, and if you can acknowledge that historical event without the filter of the Bible to interpret it, then you can still put faith in it. It it absolutely is the most important thing that ever. If if what the Bible says is true, if what those witnesses say are true, um, because it's not just the Bible that witnesses that. No, no, Um, there's there's much other. But yeah, it's the best recorded event in antiquity. And if you're on your deathbed. Yeah. Then maybe that might work. So if, but if you can acknowledge that what it says, that what people said is true, then that event means something. It's absolutely the most significant event in human history. Yeah, absolutely. That this person rose from the grave. What does that mean? And what did that person teach? And again, in, in other words, it didn't happen in a vacuum. Right. So, so for me, could you? Can you have a saving faith? I think so. Um, I think what you're saying is you can't have a deep faith without it or a meaningful faith. And I think, I think that there's truth to that. Here's my main problem with the argument. I do think you need to acknowledge that. And I do think it is a, I think it's an important tactic to acknowledge it, but the scripture is an event unto itself. And what bugs me about it is the scripture is revelation. It's not yeah, it's yes, not a yes. thing. And so what I see here is an attempt to minimalize the revelation of the scripture. If it was if it was just um the history books, you know, if it was just a recording of those things, then you absolutely don't need it. Right. But it is but God gave us time and space and time and space records the Christ and he gave us revelation which came from outside of time and space and so i i don't think that you can sacrifice one for the other because it's a complete package 
Yeah, no, that's exactly correct, and that's where I would fall too. Also, the issue for me is, remember when we talked about what happens in the life of the believer, and what in the message, now let's go all the way back to where we were when we begin. The message of the apostles, when the, when the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost, the message of the apostles in regard to the gospel of Jesus Christ was, repent. Yeah. Repent and believe, turn and follow Jesus Christ. The people cried out. They listened to the gospel being presented to them in their native tongue. And the people cried out in response, what shall we do? Right. And he said, repent. Right. And and so when you make that separation, which is being claimed. Where's the repent part? Where's the repent part? It's yeah. not there. It's incomplete. Yeah, there needs to be some interpretation there, and I, and and it is the whole message. And I think that's what's missing in biblical minimalism. Yeah, is that the message is not simply what happened; it's why it happened, and we were told why it happened mm-hmm. by God interceding in human history, not just in the form of Christ, but in the inspiration of His Scripture. Sure, the prophets, all of it. So. Yeah, that's just I was just wondering because that's a that's a growing thing right now um, in terms of apologists. Apologists um, are moving toward sort of a evidentialism. Yeah, I just, see a sec first and thes, uh, <clears throat> first and second Thessalonians uh, apostate uh, moment coming. Well, and and Andy Stanley in particular, um, his teachings kind of moving along that direction. Uh, it it opens once you separate those things then you can start picking and choosing you know what how to interpret certain things you know because the bible has lost its revelatory status yeah no it's not good it's not good well that's all i got for today we are out of time yes we are right on time as far as that goes so um that's all i got okay uh well if you didn't have a chance to check it out this last uh, Sunday, Pastor Monty was on our sister show, Cross Examination, and we were talking about racism in the church. Um, so you can check that out. You can check that out here on our Truth Time page. You can check it out on the Cross Examination page as well. Um, and you can be looking forward to this upcoming um next month at the end of the month on sunday the next sorry wow the last sunday of this month you can be looking forward to the next upper story um where we're doing a podcast with young people and youth leaders talking about relationships um and what that looks like in the church so that should be an interesting one um so you can stay tuned for that uh this weekend we have culture insanity so we'll be back possibly talking about Jesse Smollett and, and other things. I'm sure Michael Jackson will be on that table. Um, <clears throat> but in the meantime, if you're someone who's seeking answers and you want to know more about your faith, you're new to Jesus Christ or the Bible, um, you can always check us out at the help tab at abfpdx.org. 
yeah, so the Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and it's a member of the Vigilance Radio Network, a part of their Vigilance online ministry, which is ABF's web portal that provides helpful and interesting resources for the church local and at large. And if you're one of those who has enjoyed this service, remember to please like, subscribe, and share our podcast. Talk about it with your friends. Let them know that there are people out here who are talking about these things. Remember, you can find us on ABF's YouTube page, Instagram, Facebook, all of those different services, and just take a second to do that so that you can stay up to date right. and get other people up to date uh, whenever we share new content. Which do, is do some regurgitating. That's right. Chew that cud um, <clears throat> each week, and remember that that content is shared every Tuesday at 11 a.m. I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. <laughs>